right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of the Stories of Sullen Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast because I believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation, could be business, could be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen, and understood. The people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us They're not just salespeople. There are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories here so that we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately, we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, gang. So I'm super excited today. We have another salesperson on the podcast, someone with a lot of experience in sales. This guy has been an entrepreneur for 35 years, former pro athlete and coach, elite master's cyclist. He now trains and coaches salespeople in prospecting B2B combined with smart inbound marketing. He's a former owner of a call center. He's a guest lecturer at McDill, McGill, the Saltel's MBA sales strategy course. He's hails all the way from Quebec, Canada. Please welcome Denis Champagne to the podcast. Welcome, Denis. How are Thank you? Thank you very much. Thanks. I'm good, Alex. Thanks for inviting me. Or Appreciate it. Or should I say, como se va? Como se va? Très bien. I know very little French, so that's eighth grade French for you. So I'm super excited for to have you on because, you know, I think one of the main reasons why I wanted to start is I really do believe every single salesperson sells differently. They all are different in the way they approach, you know, others, we're interacting with others and just selling in general. And someone with, I mean, you have 35 years, you're an entrepreneur for 35 years. So I know you've picked up a, a lot in the sales arena, but I just think you're, you've picked up a lot in just human interactions arena. So I want to learn about, you know, kind of how you approach just interacting with others and how that's really shown up in your sales career. So first off, I just want to ask you my first question for you, Denis, what values define the person that is Denis Champagne? Beautiful name, by the way. The values. Well, I think that what has really been my first discovery, we talk about sales and discovery. My first discovery was my mother and my father, both people of integrity and community caring. That was my first, and you know, our parents are usually our first people that we socialize with, obviously, and we learn a lot from them. And sometimes insidiously, we don't realize how much of (laughs) of our learning has come from our parents. The last of my uncles just passed away last week. He was my favorite uncle. And the 12 12 uncles and aunts of my mother's side, 35 cousins and, uh, you know, integrity. So integrity was the first thing, you know, like, which means that which you say, you do. Even if, you know, midway you hesitate, keep your word. If you're going to do something and you say, you declare, keep your word on the actions. Because then in the future, you can obviously reap some of those benefits. I think the second one is enthusiasm. Enthusiasm, my champagne is the name of our last name, so it's bubbly. So (laughs) actually, it's part of our DNA, so to speak. And my parents were very enthusiastic about helping others. So I kind of, by osmosis and by karmic connection, <laughs> you know, I had some of this, you know, enthusiasm. And enthusiasm doesn't necessarily have to jump at you. It's got to be an intensity that's felt in the way you approach things. 
people sense that you're really into it, right? Yeah. So integrity, enthusiasm, and persistence, you know, come what may, you stick because if you don't, where do you go? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I mean, yeah, you hit on a few things. I think some people, you know, they may think, okay, you know, yeah, I'm, you know, happy person. I'm, I get excited at times, but, you know, enthusiasm, I think is, is something that has to really be felt. It can't just be manufactured. It can't just be someone like a manager or a boss telling you, come on, we need more enthusiasm. No, like, I mean, it's okay for you to not be enthusiastic or excited about something, but if you're not, then you may need to like find something that is, that does that for you because it's something that is felt and not something that we can just, you know, you can't just learn it. (laughs) It can't be trained. It's something felt, right? Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, actually, enthusiasm comes from a root word of Greek called entheos, N hyphen T-H-E-O-S, which means God from within. So it's the divinity or the intensity or it's the, the qualities that make up your strength and your power. It's something, it's an interior thing. It's not an outside thing. Outside thing, because I know very enthusiastic people who don't jump up and down all over the place, but they're very enthusiastic. Oh, you feel their intensity. You feel like the intensity. Yeah, that's awesome. I know we're going to get into some places with you on, you know, you're a very spiritual being. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that and how that relates to your sales walk. Let's, I kind of wanted to, you had this 35-year-old entrepreneur career, you run sales coaching business. What would you say in your career are, like, the people that you've noticed throughout your career that get people to get really drawn to them, that you know, people want to listen to, people pay attention to, I'm sure you can think of those people in your career. Uh, you can picture them, right, in your mind. What f- type of people were they, were they? What things did they do? Tell us you know, who those people, just even if you don't know, you, know, you can mention names, but who were they? What did they do? What can we learn from those types of people? Good question. It's a very good question. I would say the first thing is posture, mental and physical. Big difference between both, but they work nonetheless complementarily or together. I've had the opportunity and the pleasure and the honor to be surrounded or being around five world champions. I worked with one of them in my squash, squash game, which I played, who was the number one in the world for 17 years. Whoa. She lost one match. One match in 17 years. The tournament play. Yeah, a phenomenon. This lady and several other world champions in the same sport and in cycling as well, they exude a certain humility, but I think the quality that all of them have, which gives this posture or presents this posture, there's exude this confidence, is you can tell that they are deeply committed and a grit. If there's one thing that makes all of the best in the world become the best is they have grit. They stick to it, come what may, whatever happens, they bounce back. They know that there are going to be some waves. You know, no great, you know, navigator of a boat or captain of a boat is a great captain if he's never been at sea during the storms. There's no way that he would be a great navigator, right? right? right, right, right. Likewise, in so physical posture, the way they stand, the way they talk, how they speak, the way they look at you and respond. 
And when it's time to train or to play, because I was a training partner to one of them, boy, I could tell that when they're on court, there's no games. It's not a play thing. It's a job. It's a mission. It's serious stuff. And we're here to win and we're here to work hard and there's no messing around. So, but they say that in the, with kindness as well. There's not this arrogance. There's not this rambunctious qualities that come out. They don't threaten other people. They, you know, there's a saying, you measure the size of a person by the way he treats small ones. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I think, the posture, the mental posture, the confidence, the voice, as I coach a lot of people on voice, as you know from mm -hmm. my podcast, the calmness, that's what's going to attract a C-suite. Likewise, in, in when you listen to very... Someone that I remember from my childhood, Walter Cronkite on television, and that's the way it is. You know, the way he calmness, strength, it reverberates. So posture that is manifested through voice, manners, physicality, and looks. They look at you calmly. They're calm. They know where they're going, and they're, they're going there, right? Yeah, I mean, all those things you said are so awesome. I love, you know, that word. A lot of people don't, like figure out like, okay, what, like, okay, you hear posture and you think just standing straight. <laughs> posture is just how you carry yourself and everything about your whole approach. That's your voice, your look, your, your attitude, your ever. I mean, it's all rolled. It's such a great word because it's really all rolls, rolls into one. A, there's another adjective you can add to that or another word that actually, that for me are synonymous is composure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Physical composure, mm -hmm. mental and physical posture yeah i mean i think people that are you know that pay attention to it all those things you mentioned like if someone had them if some if someone were those things i'm feeling a lot of credibility and trust i'm feeling like yeah i can count on that person because they're they're not easily rattled they have a goal in mind they persevere they, you know, i love angela duckworth's book grit because it's it's all about you know it's not just being passionate you can be wildly passionate but if you don't add the perseverance to a long-term goal if you're easily if you get really really passionate and persevere for a few months or a year and you don't stick with it continuously yeah i mean you're always going to be somebody that someone goes well they'll be excited about something but then they'll move on to the next thing like i can't really believe them if they're moving to a certain place right so cool so Talking about, I'm really, you know, kind of fascinated right now. We're sitting in, it is, right now we're recording this. It might be released, you know, weeks from now. But as we record this, we're, the world is really starting to try slowly to get back to a, some form of reality from this huge crisis that we've been faced with. It's rocked the whole entire world. It's put a lot of things on pause for months on end. And now things are kind of getting back open slowly, very slowly in the U.S. I know they are. I don't know about Canada. You can talk about that. I'm curious when you look at this as someone that's always been really intent on helping others and having compassion for others. I feel like COVID-19 has made compassion like a fad, like a thing. Like you see a lot of marketers and advertisers doubling down. I mean, every, com every other commercial is for good reason on this crisis. What things do you think are things that were always true in our human interactions, but you're seeing maybe become more mainstream now and maybe things that maybe we, you hope that we all 
start practicing more of that we're coming to the realization that we all need? Well, obviously, in time of crisis, things emerge from our inner selves that maybe were latent, you know, because of a number of reasons. Sometimes it's complacency. Sometimes is you know suffering existentially from other situations in your life, like in your case, you know you were telling me about you know seeking some work and different mm-hmm. conditions, and I know you will get something, Alex, because Thank you. You, have, you have those qualities, and that's why you know I want to help you. That's um, huge. Thank you. You're going to get there, just and naturally, it's probably going to be a lot better than you ever imagined. So that's <laughs> what I would say to you first thing. Secondly, is you what I think you were like this before you went into this situation in COVID. Alex Smith was an Alex Smith that was kind and smiley and you know friendly and, and caring. And thanks, you know, congratulations on this podcast. This is a great idea for you. I think it'll help you a lot. I'm planning one as well in the fall. So you know, I'll invite you on my my Let's mind. Let's do it. Let's do but, it. Yeah, there are people who are going to artificialize this because they have. <laughs> Again, their values are, are aligned such that whenever opportunity knocks at the door, they respond, but we'll see how long they will last at this mm-hmm. with the same virtues and qualities inherent in good human interactions. Are they cultivating this now? Some of them, I think, will honestly and sincerely look at this as a pivot, as a bias for change. There's a, an overriding statement doing in a podcast, and I'm saying, and Brian Burns said it as well, and I'm going to copy it from him, three operative words, things have changed. And so we also must change. We can't do the same thing when the environment is changing. So some people will use that as a trigger, as a kind of a trampoline to make some changes. But I believe that those changes that need to be made are not of superficial nature or more of profound nature. In my Buddhist practice, the Buddha says, the superficial is easy while the profound is difficult. So it would require and will require some effort. And we have to encourage each other to, in that quest of improvement, transformation, to give ourselves the courage. That's what the word encourage means, to give courage to someone, to continue. It takes courage to be successful. It takes courage to be happy. It takes courage to be in a transformation phase. So you need to, you know, connect with other people of mind-like thinking. And so, you know, birds of a feather stick together. So some people will fake it until they try to make it. But I think on the other side, people have been sensitized. They've been probably, how should I say, wounded, you know, in certain ways. And because they're wounded, you can't approach a person that's wounded like the same way as someone who just finishes squats and deadlifts and is really pumped and strong, right? Yeah. And has an apple in his mouth and he's filling with the sugar of the apple and he's strong. Someone else is just coming out of surgery. They're two different people. So you yeah. can't talk to them with the same kind of intensity. Mm-hmm. So some people will learn to interact with the wounded and the caring and look to them and say, you know, I've been thinking about your situation and I've seen certain things exactly the same way with others. And let me share some things, thoughts with you, some ideas that I've come up that has been successful with others. Would that resonate with you? More often than not, prospects will say, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind hearing what happened. And, you know, if it can be helpful, it's just talking, right? That's yeah. a door of a conversation, a caring one 
relevant to their problems, and then you can open up. So it comes back to the question, some will fake it and stick to old manners. You know, people are like a rainbow. There's all kinds of colors, right? And so the point is, what do you want to become? How do you want to change? What is it that you see in your immediate and midterm future to elicit the responses and to generate the right kind of interactions in your sales process? So, yeah, there'll be fakes. There'll be great ones. We're going to see some amazing discoveries. People will come out of the woodworks with some amazing revelations about themselves that they probably had been thinking about. So there's going to be a lot of scenarios. The key for me is to keep encouraging each other to continue forging ahead, come what may. I love it. I love it. I, you know, completely agree. I think, you know, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of fear from, you know, just people in general, not just salespeople about, you know, how do you approach people in a business setting to get on that deeper personal level to find out if someone's wounded, you know, nobody in business wants to, to reveal themselves, like you say, as, you know, less than or wounded or, you know, they don't want to reveal weaknesses, maybe because, you know, if they're vulnerable and show weakness, that that's not a strength in some way. I disagree. But maybe stay in right there. So maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what, how you're, you know, you, you mentioned kind of your, your faith in Buddhism, you know, how is that, you know, really kind of helped frame your approach in sales specifically to, you know, you, you deal with a lot of C-suite folks specifically. So folks that are, I mean, the C-suite has to exude strength, like mostly. We can talk about what defines strength, but they have to exude confidence, they have to exude experience, and they have to know what they're doing and and all of that stuff. And so, you know, when they're getting, you know, approached by people trying to, you know, share ideas with them that are different or new, you know, that's kind of scary for someone, especially now, like how to, you know, connecting on that like human level to try to get to that place. So maybe, you know, talk to how maybe the question would be, how is, you know, Buddhism framed your approach to see, you know, those C-suite folks and what are some maybe tactical things that people can do when they're approaching people from that high of a level to try to connect on a common ground level, person to person level? Oh my God. Thank you so much for that question. For the longest time I've been wanting in some respect or fashion to explain the power of my Buddhist practice and how it's helped me in business, you know, because you have to be careful talk, talking about spirituality sure. and religion. You know, there's a lot of sensitive points of views and, and biases. And sure. I celebrate anyone, any and all people that seek to try to improve themselves. For me, the purpose of religion is to give people the tools and the inner fortitude and wisdom to be happy, to lead happy lives and to resolve their problems. Buddhism, likewise, has been that. It's been a quest to try to understand the sufferings of birth, death, old age, and sickness, those four basic sufferings. That has what the Buddha strove to understand when he left the castle as a young prince back 3,000, close to 3,000 years ago. But my Buddhist practice came in my life when I was in complete, you know, upheaval, my mother had passed away, a relationship from a divorce. My partner kicked me out after 10 years. Mm. And rightfully so, I deserved it. I deserved <laughs> it. You know, I'm no angel. I, you know, I'm a human being with a human components. I learned a lot from that, but I was sad and I was mad and I was too intense and I was all over the place. So Buddhism came in my life 
as a result of a number of other events in my life, which, you know, I won't get into details, but I was in very, very deep suffering in the early 2000s. And so, and there was a lot of change of 2000, 2005, the, the web, non-web, was what were you going to do? You know, there was a lot of vacuum situations there. So I was in a, and I was mad and I was sad and I needed to change my approach because clients weren't responding to my offerings because I was just too intense, too aggressive. So I had to calm down. That's why I talk so much about voice and my different podcasts, because I've had to change my voice. I'd had to change my tone and the way I approach people in order for them to respond at least. Uh, whether they choose to work with me eventually, that was another, but at least to engage. So the voice is a very powerful one. So I, my Buddhist practice taught me that, that because Buddhism is about the inner transformation of an individual. We don't seek enlightenment or light or salvation outside of self. So that's the basic tenets of Buddhism. It's the inner way. It's a developing your own inner, you know, limitless potential, which is in you, not out of you. So it helped to become happier and just happier with myself as a person. Zig Ziglar said, you can't be one kind of person and be another kind of salesperson. You are who you are. So it transpires in everything you say, think, and do, which are the three ways of creating what we call positive effects or karma or negative effects. Karma is cause and effect. It's very mechanic. It can be very mechanistic, but it's mystical as well. Because when you change your inner thinking and resolve, things can happen in your life. I'm sure you've experienced that, right? Sure, sure, sure. The decision, the next day something happens and someone knocks on the door or a friend calls you and says, oh, I've been thinking about you. And he gives you what you needed that you had wished two days before. Now, if that's not a mystic principle inherent to life, I don't know what it is. And mystic means you can't explain it with words. So I try not to explain with words. I just understand it with my life and I go on a little bit. And so contacting people, changing your composure, your posture, your appreciation, all of a sudden people respond differently and they're willing to have a, a bit of a chat. And those few seconds are crucial. So it's preemptive. You know, they say small spectacular achievements are always preceded by many, many, many unspectacular preparations. <laughs> you know, yep, a sprinter. I like that. Yeah, 10 seconds of glory as a sprinter for 10 years of preparation. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was a sprinter on track cycling on the track for a 250-meter sprint between two people or 500 meter. It took a long time, many years and hours, to get to that particular time spot, you know. So it. It looks easy when you look at it in, in a competition, but the preparation is grueling and it's day in, day out. Likewise, salespeople, they have to train, not exercise. There's a difference between training and exercise. Exercise, you go, you put your newspaper on the treadmill and you walk and you look at it. Training, you have a goal. Salespeople are athletes. They need to train. So that's how I took my approach when I was young, when I in my early 2000s, I said, I need to train. So I took up cycling. I started reading more books that I had read before. I talked to coaches and selling, practice, re you know, rehearse, rehearse. Yeah. You got to rehearse your presentation. Yeah. Yeah. There's two ways of learning, repetition and imitation. If you do mm -hmm. both, you'll be fine. <laughs> I like it. You know, 
a lot of things that we could kind of talk about there. I mean, I do think so much, so much of the time we look outward for answers. I mean, we try to kind of, we do, we, we kind of, you know, okay, if I want to get better at, you know, public speaking, I want to get better at like convincing people. I want to get better at pitching others. I want to get better with my ideas. It's all like, you know, yeah, learning outside and all those things you go do, like you said, you go get the books and you do the training and do that repetition, but the decision, the change comes inside. And, you know, you, you talked a lot about, you know, it's all about kind of the things you think, say, and do. I mean, the spark is different for everybody of, of kind of what gets them to, to do, do those things. Maybe, hopefully, maybe this podcast can be a little bit of a spark, but sure. um, I think so many times if you just kind of like, I mean, don't think too much into it, but you just kind of stop and just maybe ask yourself, you know, what is, what do I want? Like, what excites me? What's the, what do I want to learn? You know, it doesn't have to be like, what do I want to do? What are my, what are these like big goals that I need for myself? And, and how do I, you know, accomplish these big goals? But just like, what do I really want? I mean, it's a simple question, but I yeah. mean, you can always work backwards from what you really want. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually uh, recorded and it was broadcasted this morning with Bob Perkins from the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals. I talked precisely about that, about look from the inside if you can't go outside. Work, yeah. virtues, and you. you know, in my case, I took up cycling in 2002. I was on the verge of bankruptcy, which I accepted to, you know, the bankruptcy, I accepted to declare it a year and a half later. I lost everything. And through my Buddhism, I had the courage and the wisdom to do it, to do it correctly and have humility for money, humility for myself, and rebuild myself. And cycling was one thing. So you start maybe with going to the gym or walking an hour and a half every day for four days in a row, and you take a break to recover, right? Is that need to happen for you to become more disciplined at prospecting, then so be it. Use that structure that discipline in walking and then carry it over into your discipline for prospecting now you have two pillars of discipline and then something else you say oh i'm going to read you know a chapter every day of a specific book or apply a principle now you have you're walking you're prospecting one hour a day you're reading a passage then you say okay i'm going to do my hour I'll do my hour of prospecting. Oh, maybe I'll push up an hour and 15, right? And then you'll read a passage and you'll call someone, like call Alex Smith and encourage him, encourage someone else. This will all start building something in your life that when you lift up the phone and you get someone on the phone, you sound differently and they respond differently. And there you go, you're in and you just have to exchange calmly with no backward thinking, and they will suggest to you certain things. So you build on pillars in your life. And I respected more my life, so therefore I became respectful of money. Yeah, it's kind of funny. You know, you, you took me to a place I didn't, you know, kind of realize I've been now. So I've been, those that know me, you mentioned it earlier, I've been you know, searching for work and I haven't found a full-time thing yet. But in the, the interim, I've taken a you know, part-time role just making cold calls. I used to make cold calls earlier in my career, but the last seven years, it's been more of a senior enterprise account executive role, partnerships role. But I forgot how just fun and like amazing they can be because like the conversations can be endless. Sure, you get hung up on more times than not and people go, I'm fine, stop calling or I'm good. But occasionally, I like to say like, you know, occasionally 
you'll get someone that, that realizes, like, I just try to play a game with it. Like, you know, I, I kind of say like, Hey, look, I know you probably think it's crazy getting a cold call during a pandemic right now. <laughs> I could be doing a lot better things with my knife. Listen, if you have 15 seconds or 30 seconds, can I tell you the, the reason why I'm calling? And you can tell me if it's relevant for your business. And if so, we can continue. If not, you know, you, we can go our separate ways. Is that okay? And, you know, half the time they'll, they'll say okay or no or whatever. Or, or even just say sometimes I just go right into it. And I just, you know, kind of, you know, if the person is who I'm talking with, sometimes I've, I've been saying, how have you been a lot? And people are like, what are you, who is this again? Because you don't even know me. You're a stranger. You're asking how, how have I been? I'm just fascinated about the responses because anybody getting a cold call from a stranger, your guard is this person selling me something. So I'm trying to figure out ways that I can figure out how I would want to, you know, be heard by somebody not trying right. to sell me something. So I'm asking questions like, you know, if the person's like, well, so-and-so isn't in, I go, great. You have a great voice. Like, tell me where you're from originally. And that question made my week last week because I told, asked someone, where are you from originally? Oh, I'm from Haiti. Oh my God, that's amazing. Like, how long have you been over here? Yeah. You know, I've been here for 20 years. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 51 and I came, oh, when'd you come over? I came over when I was 18 years old and now I'm 50. I have a 35 year old son and you know, it's my birthday this weekend. I'm going to be 51. I was like, go, you know, you go, girl, like you're going to be great. Oh yeah. And if you saw me in person, you'd think I was 35. Oh, my, all my son's friends think I'm 35 years old. And I'm like, I bet they do. You know, and we talked and we had this beautiful conversation. And, you know, I, I like to say if, if someone gives you a chance to be a real person in business or a cold call, some of us just blow right by it. And we just start trying to sell our products. But if someone gives you a a chance or a permission to just be a real person, take it. And, you know, like good things will happen. I wasn't even thinking about what I was selling. I'm just talking to her. We're just meeting each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that I, because I've trained close to a thousand people on the phone in my call center. And one of the things that I learned early on is that the person, the prospect's response is your attitude. I'll repeat that. The person's response is your attitude. Mm. That goes yeah, deep. Yeah, I'm not yeah. expecting everybody come. to take that because how you deliver with the resonance of your voice, they will, because everybody's trying to brilliantly trying to figure out if they can trust you. The voice says more before even the words are being uttered. Two weeks ago when my wife and I were waiting for the response from the second biopsy, of my wife's ganglions in the throat. And we had been through five months of testings and scans. And we had a negative result on the first one. And he, now he went in surgery. I'm getting to a point on this. And he called us up to give us the answer. And he asked my wife, is your husband nearby? And when I heard his voice, I knew that we had one on the second negative result. I didn't even have to him tell us that the second one was 100% negative from cancer. I could tell by his voice. Because there's joy, it can be felt, the sadness can be felt. If your wife calls you or your friend calls you, you'll go, what's wrong? Right? Oh, you know, you know right away. Yeah. Right. So the voice says a lot. So if you approach someone, it's not up to them to give you the space to have a conversation. It's for you to create it. Mm. And that's where most people mm. fail to understand 
that it, they are not in control, those who are called, is you lifted up the phone, you reached out through an email, create the tone, create the comfort, create the relevance, create the environment so that it's easy for them to say, hey, I've been fine, and how about you? And if they say, how about you, you know well that you're in a conversation now. You just got to calm down. And in this pandemic, those who succeed are those who are calm and confident. People want to be heard and they want to be told in a calm way certain things. Everybody's a bit hyper and you can sense it deeply within them. If you change your posture and your composure, again, that's where Buddhism has helped me is to practice and chant like I chant every day in morning to reveal the best in me, the Buddha nature. Yeah. People feel that. They know I'm not in a rush. I was going to say that I'm working less these days and I'm doing better than I have before. Wow. Slow is fast, my friend. <laughs> we all need to remember that sometimes. Sometimes I don't. Yeah. And I have to like take a step back and remember that. Yeah. Because we all have so much stuff on our calendars. We're all so busy and we're all trying to like, we all have our numbers to hit. We're trying to, you know, go, 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 go. But when you just keep it simple like that, I thought what you said was so powerful. It's about creating a space. It's not about you, like, you know, it's not about you trying to get your a meeting, you know, trying to get your product, trying to, you know, kind of force anything. It's just creating a space where the conversation can even begin. The conversation can't even start unless the person feels that trust level. And sometimes, majority of the time, it's not going to be created. That's a tough thing to do on a cold, you know, a stranger meeting another stranger. We don't know you. You're a stranger. You would never meet someone on the street and think, oh, that Denis, I mean, he just looks like a longtime friend. Let's, let's just feel that love. No, you, you have to create that space. And it takes time. It takes a lot of just calmness. It takes, a, you know, a pot, again, a, a composure and posture where you're just, where it's comfortable. Yeah, whatever it takes for you to come to an appreciation of your own self. You know, I said this morning and, you know, with Bob from AAISP, I said, you know, it's coming through your true self, being your true self, like really allowing yourself to be, you know, completely free. The greatest virtue that the Buddha talks about is when you're completely free from fear, from danger, from risk. When you're free and you just enjoy the moment of life, like being alive, that's when you're really in your best moment. And it's a moment-to-moment -moment thing. You know, tomorrow something can happen. I also have a friend that I was my coach and my racing team, and Sunday night he died. He avoided a student so on the road. He's 72 years old. He was an amazing athlete, and he fell on his head and he died. It could happen so fast. So, and I'm not saying this to be tragic. I'm just saying that because that's what happened. You know, and I cried and I chanted and I pray and I have more chanting. But, you know, it doesn't stop me from being caring and working to help a client. It's part of me. It's not out of me. Yeah. It's all part of the, and people will feel that. As a matter of fact, when you cry, if you call a prospect after, you're probably going to be very, very compelling. Yeah. <laughs> you surprised. <laughs> I actually agree because you kind of really calm um, down. You calm your thoughts. Yep. 
you have a different purpose. You realize that like they're bigger that just, you know, you're, you kind of see your, yeah, you're, you're more aware of yourself because you're, you're, yeah, feeling, less ego. you're, there's no, yeah, ego. you're, there's no ego. It's just, you are processing, you know, your feelings, which is healthy. You're processing your thoughts. You're letting them happen to you. You're not like, for, you're not trying to restrict them. You're not trying to bottle them up. They're flowing freely out of you. And, yeah, and then, exactly. then, then the, the, what the words that come out of your mouth might not be a script. They'll be a free flowing, natural approach. Uh, with that's someone. when you're at your, that's when you're at your best. For sure. Yeah. I had my, I had a script for my staff, you know, in my call center. Mm-hmm. And from time to time, as I was training them, I would see that they're starting to get it. And I would pass right by their desk. And as they're on the phone speaking Just to someone, take it, <laughs> take the script out of their hands. And they no. made a yeah. they would, they're like, no, stop. Yeah. They, would, they would look at me and then they have to improvise. Yeah. In their yeah. natural self. And they sold. Yeah. That's yeah. Scripts are good, but it's not the actual words. It's the framework that really is the, is where the the magic is. And then, and then that combined with your natural conversational style and eloquence is, is really what will, you know, make it succeed. Putting your natural ability in the framework of the, of the script, which your, your brain are, are automatically gets by repetition. But Denis, I could talk to you for a long, long time, my friend. I want to, kind of end off on a couple things. One, just something about you. We talked a lot about C-suite. You know, I wanted, we talked a lot about some things that you could be doing. What are things that, you know, just you would advise some people going at maybe that are, let's do both non-sales and salespeople. So what's somebody, they've never been in a sales training before. They've, they feel like that they're not in sales. What can they learn from someone that's in B2B sales and someone in your career, what are just some easy things that they can begin doing in their lives to you know, start having some success when they're maybe presenting things like an idea at work? Well, first of all, remove the labels. Forget about the title of vice president. Yeah. Like they're human <laughs> beings. Yeah. They're people. They have a responsibility or a suite of responsibilities. They also are accountable to a boss. For sure. Nobody's a boss. Nobody has no boss. Even the, the, even the CEO has a boss or bosses on the board of directors, right? Yep. And even the president of the board of directors has the board of directors as boss. So everybody, sure. you know, remember Bob Dylan? Yeah. You can save the Lord or you can serve the devil, but you're going to have to serve somebody. <laughs> we all have to serve someone. Yeah. So in our case, a person who's non-sales, just humbly thank the person for giving them the time and says, would cool. you mind if I, and ask the permission to sit down and go over a point that they have and they, they want their advice. People love to give their opinions and advice anyway. I like it. C-suite are no different. Yeah, I like so it. What about, seek the oh, advice. Go, go ahead, go ahead. Didn't seek the it. advice of the C-suite if you have a chance, you yeah. know, and say, I respect your position. I know that you've been, you know, in this position for quite a while, I admire that you've achieved this. Nobody's going to say no when you give them compliments or sincere, right? Yeah. I, I want I like your it. opinion on this. I want your advice. Would you give it to me? Awesome. And yeah. they, more often than not, they'll give you 10, 5, 10, 15 minutes. 
I like it. I like it. Yeah. Try to put it on them. Like you respect, that's a lot of respect that you see that you see that both ways. And then they're maybe more willing, like, Oh, this person's like thinking I want to, yeah, sure. This person's not trying to get something from me other than they respect my, my opinion. What about the experienced salesperson? Maybe what are, what do most salespeople do that you think that they maybe could start learning and maybe doing differently? Two things. things. They're ill prepared when you call C-suite. Okay. Don't waste C-suite time. If you don't understand, and I don't just say understand intellectually, but that you viscerally understand the various problems for that C-suite member. So there are three things. You understand the industry. You understand their company a little bit. You do some work on that. You do some research, and you know a little bit about this individual in that position, in that company, in that industry. So if you come and you have clear ideas and you're looking forward to it, to help them or share with them your ideas. So do your research, be prepared to talk about issues that matter to the C-suite with problems that matter to them. And then is how, learn how to speak to C-suite. That's what I do, is teach them how to do those things in those beginning moments of engagement. And if you have those two things, you will get more calls with C-suite than you can imagine. But it's, you know, you got to go through some numbers, but when you get someone on the phone, you'll make it count. I love it. I love it. And then the last question for you, and we'll wrap it up. You know, this is who you are. This is just something fun about you. What is something, and I ask all my guests the same question, what is something that would only and could only, it could be something or an event that could only or would only happen to Denis Champagne. Well, I owned a record label for a few years. I was president of a small hip-hop label here in Montreal, and I traveled <laughs> to the U.S., and I had the chance to shake hands and chat with Quincy Jones. No way. He's a very small guy. He was kind enough. We had put together a label, and there was an accident, a violence accident of a small black child in Ridgeport, Illinois, which is near Chicago. And back in March 21st, 97, and I, it prompted me to open up this label with some kids. I would have petitioned here in Montreal with a rapper and producer that we set up a label. And I went there and I, I spoke to all NBC, CBS. It was a big wow. splash of us giving away an album. And then I went and we went to New York for the Urban Music Festival, which is kind of a convention. So on that convention, we had Chris Rock. Dr. Cornell West, Quincy Jones, Will Smith's partner from Overbrook Entertainment, David Geffen from Geffen Records. We had some of the, the hitmen with Puff Daddy. There was the people with Clive Davis from Arista Records. Oh my God, everyone. There was, what's her name? Queen Latifah spoke. I was going to say Queen Latifah. Chuck D from Public Enemy spoke. Nice. We had, wow. I had an amazing Hip-hop time. royalty, man. Yeah, the hip-hop royalty. So I was educated by those people about the industry. I learned, and also the people from, you know, Biggie's neighborhood, uh, you know, Notorious B.I.G.'s family, Junior Mafia. They were there as well. So I met some of the most amazing artists in that space. Wow. Wow, man. I'm jealous. Wow, that's a great story. I'm, I'm Matt Cornell West, for those of you who don't know wrote just an amazing author and professor, I believe at Princeton and in black history and just an amazing author. He spoke at my school and I got to actually meet him and he drove in my car when I, I drove him to the president's house where he was staying. Wow. So, but 
just an amazing person. But all right, Denis, we are at the end. Where can people find you, connect with you, and hear more about you? Well, Denis Champagne, D-E-N-I-S-C-H-A-M-P-A-G-N-E. Champagne, like the wine. You can find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Uh, Lotuscom.com, L-O-T-U-S-C-O-M-M.com for Lotus Communications. You can reach me there. I'm on Facebook, but more personally kind of thing, you know, with my wife cool. and stuff. But uh, LinkedIn and lotuscom.com, you know, you can DM me and I'll be more than happy to share any and all the things that can help anybody become better person, better salesperson. Tony, you're a great guest. Merci beaucoup. My pleasure. Mon plaisir. <laughs> all right. Thanks, my brother. Take care. Thank you. All right. Bye now. Hey gang, all right, wow, you made it to the end. I know your time is valuable, so thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly to tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right, see you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human. Humans.